0: a wide awake, no sleepies. Today is the third day in our 40-day prayer push. We are, on Friday, we started uh, this 40-day prayer push on, on the our Facebook page. And if uh, I know several of you have already joined and become part of it. If you have not yet joined and you still, and you want to become part of what we're doing, it's not too late. You can become a part of what we're going to need. He to come preach for me, isn't he? If you want to become part of what we are doing uh, with this 40 day prayer push, it is not too late. You can simply go to the website up here on the screen behind me, facebook.com groups Grace Life 40 Days. And you can sign up, you can join right there and we will, uh, I'll add, make sure you get added. If you're not on Facebook, like I know several of you are, or maybe you have a Facebook account but you rarely check it, that's okay too. Uh, let me know and I can send you a PDF of what we're doing each day. You'll just miss the prompts during the day as well. Regina's put up a couple other prompts that come out like at noon and then one in the evening as well. Just to kind of remind us to get back to stay, make sure we are in the mood of prayer throughout our day. Uh, It's an exciting time we've been going through. So please see me afterwards or send me an email to let me know if you are part of our Facebook page right now, if you're watching online. Uh, There should be a lake on there for you to be able to go and to join with what we're doing, if you've not already joined. It's been a good time. We talked about the holiness of God the first day. We've been going through the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, his holiness. And then yesterday we talked about your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come here on earth. Let us be a part of what you're doing. And today is all about your will be done. So God, we want your will to be done in us and through us in this world and let us be a part of what you are trying and attempting to do around this country and around this world. So it's exciting times we wanna, not just as a lead up to the election, but to make sure that we as the body of Christ are giving our hearts and looking toward what God wants us to do. Revival starts here. If we wanna make a true impact in this world, if we wanna make an impact on what God is trying to do here at Thornton and in Denver and around this world, it starts with us as the body of Christ. We've got to make sure our hearts are right, our minds are right, that our focus is correct. And then from there, God uses us to go and reach the world around us. With that said, we're going to, if you have your Bibles this morning, open up to the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue our series in the book of Hebrews this morning. We've been discussing how Jesus is greater, greater than all that's going on around us. He's greater than our problems, He's greater than our insecurities. He's greater than our joys. Remember we started off, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets who came of old. He's greater than all these things. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than Melchizedek. I'm like, who is Melchizedek? Well, if you were here last week, you learned who Melchizedek was, and why Jesus is the greater Melchizedek. Today, we're, it's the author of Hebrew, Hebrews takes a little diversion. He kind of gets off of this thing that Jesus is greater. i lifting up all these things that Jesus is greater than. He says, i want to talk to you about your maturity. Or really the lack thereof. To the people he's writing to. He says, what is your problem? Now all of us have immaturity in our lives. I'm waiting for all the wives to elbow your husbands. Immaturity is sitting right next to you many times, right? It seems like women always grow up real fast and guys, we never grow. We always just want to stay young. We want to have fun. and It's like, really honey, when are you ever gonna grow up? Never. I'm just like Peter Pan, I'm never gonna grow up. We encourage our kids. When are you gonna stop acting like a kid? Well, I am a kid, right? I'm 12 years old, I'm 10 years old, I'm nine years old. When are you, it's like, when are you ever gonna stop making those childlike mistakes? Uh, probably when they become more mature, when they become more like adults. What would it look like if we as adults, what would it look like if we behave like toddlers? If we made the same immature mistakes as toddlers do? I found a great example of that. Let's play it and see what happens. What does it look like? I want to now. I want to I want to be there now. I I I don't know where I'm going. Mom. Last one, they had a hidden camera in there, so the other people in the coffee shop had no clue what was going on. So he's like, What's going on with her? But what would it look like if that's if we acted like toddlers, if we were immature that way? God would be like, Smack! Sometimes we want to do that with our kids, right? Why are you still making the same mistakes over and over again, right? Wife ever help your wives ever help your husbands? Why do you keep saying that thing? Why do you keep smelling like that? Why do you keep... Because they've matured much further beyond us. Here in this passage, Hebrews chapter 5, the end of verse chapter 5 and end of verse 6, chapter 6 rather, the author of Hebrews is setting the stage for the, those who are reading this to say, it's time to leave behind the old childish spiritual life you've had. It's time to advance and become what God wants you to be. It's time to step up into spiritual maturity. It's time to step up and begin learning about the deeper things of God's word. It's time to step up and begin serving and not just being served all the time. There's a great tendency in the body of Christ to come in, to sit, to leave, and never take part, to never let what goes on in the worship service or in the Bible study really infiltrate your life, your mind, your heart, and what's going on. It's very easy to come and just sit. Find your seat that's got your name marked on it right. You've all got the black sharpie. You've already put Mike Lloyd sits here. Uh, Steve Bannister sits here. We've all got our spots marked out. It's easy to come in and do your part and leave without ever letting what happens make a real impact on your life. And so the writer of Hebrews here is kind of smacking the the readers and even us upside the head and say, listen, it's time to step up. It's time to stop drinking milk and grow in your faith. It's time to stop just absorbing what's going on around you. It's time to start serving and being a part of what's going on around you. Look at Hebrews chapter five, verse 11, as he says here. He says about this, we have much to say. He's talking about the High priestlyhood of, of Jesus, how great he is. And how about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you again the basic principles and oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have powers, have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He says, Church, listen up. It's time to move on. It's time to progress from where you were, where you began learning. Now, I expect somebody, when they first become a Christian, to have lots of questions. I expect somebody, when they first start coming to church, to not know what's going on, to kind of walk in and say, Where's my seat? Where can I? What do I do? I don't know these songs. I don't know these verses. I don't know what's going on. I expect that. But once somebody has been in church for a long time, once somebody's been a Christian for a long time, I expect that they are going to know some things. They're going to know some of the deeper truths of God's Word. They're going to know that their microphone died. they're going to know some of the deeper things of God's word. It's going to become natural. As they begin studying God's word, they're going to get away from just John 3.16 and quoting and quoting and quoting, just those things out of real memory to where they now they're getting into the deeper things of God's word and they begin understanding what's going on. They're moving from milk to solid food. They're moving from the stage one creamed oatmeal and Peas and the, the sweet potatoes. My, my granddaughter, she's nine months old now, I guess. And a few months ago, my daughter started feeding her stage one food, right? And the very first time, it's like, you take that spoon, you put it in the baby's mouth. Just the tongue, I don't, what is this? Where's my milk? Where's my... She's trying to help her progress from stage, from milk to stage one. And then eventually from stage one to stage two. And then stage three to steak. You know, that, that, that's where we are. Oh, that steak. You need That medium rare, a little grilled on top, a little spice on it. It's good stuff. But the writer here is saying, for some of you, you're still stuck on stage one. For some of you, you're still stuck on the milk because you've never progressed beyond the very basic, elemental teachings of God's word. You're happy. You're satisfied with the very, Basic things. Verse 12 he says, You ought to be teachers by this time, right? He says, You ought to be the ones out there teaching children's church. You ought to be the ones out there volunteering. You ought to be the ones leading small groups. You ought to be the ones leading ministry groups to go out into our community. You ought to be that person. But you're not. You're satisfied with John 3:16. That's a great verse. Don't get me wrong. That is a great, powerful verse but there's so much more to learn about God and his plan for us that John 3.16 does not teach. Amen. Sunday nights we've been going through a whole discussion of creation, evolution and learning, okay, God put these verses in Genesis for a reason. Why is that there? What can we learn from Genesis about who God's character, about who he is and his plan for us? The world has tried to corrupt that message. The world has tried to corrupt that whole discussion to get people thinking off. As they begin thinking wrongly about the whole creation-evolution debate, they have this wrong idea of who God is. And so we're trying to bring it back to what the Bible says. To so look at the world and look at the Bible through biblical lenses, not through the world's lenses. To get beyond just the basics. To dig deep. Because we need milk, not solid food. Milk was great when I was seven, and eight, and nine, as I was learning. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What did he do for me? Why did he die for me? and learned the basic stories of scripture. But as I progressed and as I grew, in, as I grew up and aged as a person, I began wanting to know more about who God is, about his character. And not just about Yes, he saved me, but why did he save me? What is the message that's in God's word? What is his plan? What is the message from Genesis to Revelation? Why is there one theme throughout all of scripture? What is that theme? And how does it relate to me? And how do I apply that to my life? And as now that I'm 51 years old, how do I apply that to my daily life? That's what the writer is saying. So you remember the... Hebrews was written somewhere before AD 70. We know that because there's no reference made to the destruction of Jerusalem or the temple, or the the, the torn down temple that Rome destroyed in Jerusalem at that time, AD 70. And so this is pretty early, within about 20, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And already those in the church were getting complacent. Already, They were getting complacent. There was persecution they were going through. There's frustration of how trying to figure out how they live their faith in this Roman world. And they're letting their faith become stagnated because they're going back again to the old life. By default, it's easy to fall back into sin. By default, it's easy to get back into that old life and to ignore the principles and the truths of Scripture. In essence, they were just still spiritual infants. The author of Hebrews is like, what is your problem? Smack! Don't you see? You need to progress. You need to grow. You need to learn about God's word. Learn about how he wants to impact your life right here and right now so that you can go out and impact the world around you. They were still eating mush. It was time for them to move on the steak. So that was a diagnosis that they were lacking in, in maturity, that they had a problem now, we got three prescriptions today. We're talking about three different prescriptions that the author gives to these, the church. First one's here in chapter 6, verse 1, that they need to choose intimacy over infancy. They need to choose intimacy with Christ, intimacy with the God of the universe, over the infancy that's so prevalent and is just easy to fall back into. Look what he says here in chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about the washings of laying on hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This we will do if time permits. He says you need to move beyond these elemental teachings. Go from what you just learned from the very basics about the basic stories in God's word Dig deep into those stories. Now, why is that story there? Here's the parable. It's nice having a little parable there on top. What is the deep meaning behind that parable? And how does it apply to me in my life right here, right now, in 21st century Denver, Colorado? It says you leave behind the doctrine, not that you're leaving behind the doctrine of Christ, but you're understanding his character. Dig deep to understand his character. See, we seem to think that we've arrived Many times. We think we've arrived, if I can rattle off a few verses from memory. Or if I can, you know the old sword drills years ago where you take the Bible, you open it up and you find that verse really quickly. Uh, Psalm 150 verse 3. and You flip to it right away. I I can get my sword drills down. Those old competitions. We think we've arrived, if we show up on Sunday morning before church starts. We think we've arrived if people recognize my name because I'm there all the time. But here the author is saying, you've not arrived because you're still stuck with the very basic teachings of God's word. See, spiritual immaturity, this is what the author is trying to get across, spiritual immaturity ultimately leads to bad doctrine and bad practice which could ultimately lead to someone leading the faith. How many people do we know? They go to church for a long time, and then all of a sudden they get upset. Somebody sat in their seat. Somebody knocked over their coffee. Somebody offended them for something. They sang the wrong song on Sunday morning, or somebody didn't say, ask me how I was doing this week. We let those little offenses drive a wedge between us and our relationship with our church and we leave. It happens all the time. We are the nation of the easily offended, right? We get offended so easily. A pastor wears a tie, and a pastor doesn't wear a tie. pastor's wife wears slacks, pastor's wife doesn't wear slacks. Preaching out the wrong translation. Uh, we got the wrong kind of music. It's, I want more hymns. I don't want more hymns. I want more lighting. I want, I want less lighting. I want... Drums, I don't want drums. Our preferences take precedence over scripture. How many people have we known to start off strong in their faith or appear to start off strong, but they never progress beyond the elementals, the basics, and ultimately they drift away? Have we moved beyond just a head knowledge of who Christ is just an understanding that Jesus is the son of God and he died for me on the cross to putting it into practice, putting my faith into practice. Because there comes a point, believers, where you have to move from just the knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is to say, I'm going to live out my faith every single day in every aspect of my faith and every aspect of my life. From work, wherever you work, you shop, you eat, you play, you live. I'm going to let Christ reign in Christ. Christ is going to be exalted in every area of my life. Because our goal is intimacy with Christ, not staying in infancy. My goal is to make him a part of every part of my life, where I work, shop, eat, play, and live, not just Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Jesus laid it out this way in Matthew chapter 13. He said, and he told them many things in parables, saying, "A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, he sowed some seeds on seeds along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground, and they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And some others fell on good soil and produced grain. Some." hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He was has ears to hear, let him hear. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Ultimately, all of us, I think, hopefully desire to be the one that falls on the good soil. And you produce some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. You're reproducing yourself. You're reproducing your faith in others. You're bringing others into the church. You're bringing others to faith in Christ. And you're teaching them and you're teaching them yourself. You're getting involved and engaged in their lives. You see, it's not just enough to walk up to somebody and say, do you know Jesus is the Son of God? Let me tell you, take them through the Romans road. And to explain to you how awesome Jesus is. And then just drop them. It is our responsibility. If we are here as the body of Christ, if we are here leading people into a relationship with him, I and mean, that's part of our our our, our mission statement, right? We're here, we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and then equip them to serve. That's what we are about as a church. We're here to lead people into a growing relationship. I don't introduce them and drop them. That's unfair. Imagine somebody coming into your office and there's absolutely no onboarding plan at all into your company. They come in, they're hired the very first day, they have their desk, and they sit there, twiddling their thumbs because they don't know what to do. They don't know what you know. Somebody comes into your office, there's a plan in place to introduce them to your company. There's a plan in place to introduce them to the people in your company. There's a plan in place to get them engaged and involved in what your company is doing. Whether it's real estate or IT or the FAA or smash murder, there's a plan in place to get people involved and engaged in your company, what you're doing. Same with the Christian faith. We don't introduce people to Jesus and then let them grow on their own. They're babies, they're infants, they're stuck on milk. It's up to us as the more mature believers, right, to bring them along and teach them. Initially, the elemental things, elementary things, then the middle school things, then the high school things, and into college and PhD level things. It's our responsibility. And the church was not doing that. The one that the Sultan was writing to, they were not doing that. They were satisfied letting people get choked out. They were satisfied. Bringing people in where they get excited for a short time and then letting them wither away.
1: See, the early church,
0: these Jewish Christians that were being written to, they were undergoing a lot of persecution and temptation in their culture as well. They had a choice to either go back to the sacrificial system in the temple, right? They could have gone back to that and began offering sacrifices again to... Stop the criticism of the community around them, or they could have gone if they were living in a gentile city. Happily, gone up to the incense altar where they have to drop the incense into uh, to make a homage to the Roman emperor, and Donald Chin is God, so they could then go into the market and sell their goods. We don't have that temptation today. Similar, but different. We have other temptations. Their temptation was to blend their sacrificial rituals and their Christian life with what was going on around them, to merge the two together as a hybrid. To not stand out. To just blend in like camouflage with their culture. And the author says, stop. That is not what you've been called to do. Seek intimacy with the creator, not infancy. The second prescription he gives them, he says, beware of the creeping apostasy. Beware of <coughs> beware of the apostasy that can creep into your life as bad theology and bad doctrine can come on you swiftly and quickly if you're not careful. Look at what he says here in verse four through a, 4, 5, and 6, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted in the goodness of the word of God and to the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucified once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. These people who come in And they've tasted the truth of the gospel. They've tasted it. They've experienced it. And then walk away. He says, how hard is it for them to come back? They've given up. They've lost faith now in in the body of Christ. We all know people who come to church for a while and they walk away because something happened. And for them to come back again is really, really hard because they have to swallow their pride to get back into the body of Christ. Even if it's going to a totally different church, right? Even if it means going to a totally different church, they still have to swallow their pride because somebody in that other church may know the story about why they left church A. But it's so vitally important that we stay connected Who are these people? What are they like? Those who, this author says, they've tasted the truth of the gospel. It says they were enlightened in the truth, right? They had an awareness of new life and forgiveness. Here's the key words there in the passage. They were enlightened in the truth. It's awareness of what God has done for them. It says they tasted the heavenly gift, right? They tasted it. they just a touch. When we first moved overseas, And we were in Korea for the first time. We were not fans of kimchi. Kimchi, for those who don't know, it's a spicy, fermented, red pepper paste coated cabbage. We love it now. The first time we tasted it, we were like, first we were like, oh, what is that smell? And we took a little bite. What is that flavor? What is that sourness that Oh my goodness, it is nasty, nasty stuff. We took a little taste. Now, we eat it like it's a snack food. (laughs) We'll go down to the store, we'll buy it, and then just put it in a bowl and eat it with a little bit of rice or put it in a soup. We love it, it's good stuff. But we got beyond just the tasting of it and we began to love it. So here are these people, he says, you've tasted the heavenly gift, they just tasted it, but there was no real belief. They tasted the heavenly gift that God wanted to give them, but there was no genuine belief. So they shared in the Holy Spirit. They witnessed what he had done, what the Holy Spirit had done within the body of Christ. They'd seen people healed. They'd seen lives transformed. They witnessed the Holy Spirit working in and among the people. And says they tasted the goodness of God's word, they understood the gospel here, But there's no true spiritual life that moved from their head to their heart. And thus they fell away. And the author says, how hard it is if you don't get into God's word and let it move from your head to your heart. To understand beyond the elementary things to the deeper things of Scripture. See, their hearts have been hardened. Much like those in the farmer's field that just yield the thorns and the thistles, right? Look at verse 7. It says, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it produces a crop useful for those whose sake it cultivated, it receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Every crop around us, every farmer, prays for rain. Everybody we, we love rain. It's a it waters our fields. We have a garden in our backyard. Even though our neighbor's garden is better than us, we're not really that much, we're not super jealous, just a little bit. We have this garden back there, and we, we were like, okay, when's the rain coming? Especially this year, right? There was not much rain. We're watering it, we're, watering it. we're watering it. water watching our water bill go up. Rain, you gotta come sometimes. We can shut off our water. I don't want to be paying for it. He says the rain that falls And produces a crop, that's the blessing from God. As we read God's word, as we get into God's word, as we experience the impact he wants to have on us, that's the blessing that comes from reading God's word and trusting and learning the deeper things of scripture. As we watch our crops grow, we get to enjoy them. We get the tomatoes and the peppers and the gourds and the pumpkins and all the yummy stuff. We get to enjoy the fruits and the benefits of rain and cultivating and the fertilizer and all that stuff that goes on from our garden. And we have nice neighbors, they bring their stuff over and share with us too. We get to experience the blessings of that. That is what God's word is like. As we get into God's word, we study studying it and learning it and letting it fill us and transform us. The blessings of God go out the window. It's like rain in the fields. But the penalty he says in verse 8 it says, if you don't study God's word, if you just live in the elementary areas, and you're just satisfied just doing, being a baby, 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 baby Christian, the infant, it says your faith is worthless. It reminds me of Revelation 3.15, where John is writing to the church on Laodicea, and he says, I know your works. Jesus is talking. I know you weren't, you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either hot or cold. So because if you were lukewarm and not hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. I will throw you up. You make me sick, Jesus says. And the point here is not that you are on fire for God or Against God, but that either both of those hot and cold are both useful for something. Your faith is worthful. Worthful. That's a bad word. That's not a real word, is it? Your faith is useful. And it can be used in, in in the community around us because you are excited about your faith. You're excited about God's word. You're excited about what God is going to do in and through you as He's transforming you to get involved in the community around. You. So beware the creeping apostasy. Beware the risk of falling away from the church and the body of Christ. Prescription number three is this. Look up, better things are coming. Look up, better things are coming. And the first one we had was choose intimacy over over infancy. Then beware of the creeping apostasy that can come in quickly. Third, look up, better things are coming. In your life, verse 9 through 12. The author says here even though maturity is right on your doorsteps, there is hope for you. Even though immaturity is the natural thing that we like to just let it become a part of who we are and live with it, there is hope that you can progress beyond that. Verse 9 says this way though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. And the author's been pretty harsh up to now, right, with with those who are reading. He's been pretty harsh with those who are just living and existing in immaturity in their faith. He says, even though immaturity is right there, though, there is hope. You don't have to stay that way. two God sees the work we do in faith verse 10 says this way for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do God sees the work we do in faith not the work we do to lift up our name or to let people think we're better than we are the person who works without getting recognition From mankind, God sees your work. God sees your dedication. We work right now, not so we can get accolades and a better paycheck and get a pat on the back. We work at God's service so that he looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. He is the one I want to impress. We are all actors on a stage before an audience of one has been said. God is the only one we need to oppress. God is the only one we need to be looking out for. He sees the work we do. Number three, we are to remain busy until the end. Verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of the hope until the end. To have full assurance in your faith until the end full assurance in Jesus until the end. Keep working, keep working, keep working. Don't stop. The end is not here. You can rest when you're dead. We can rest in the arms of God. We can rest in the mansion that he is preparing for us, for the home that he is preparing for us in heaven. We can rest then. Do we get tired now? Do we get frustrated and want to just lay down now? Of course. We all do. We're all human but we can't give up on our faith. We can't give up on the work that he's called us to do. Because he's got something great in store for all of us in the future. Remain busy until the end. And verse 12 kind of goes along with that. He says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Fight off spiritual laziness. Imitate those who persevered in their faith in the promises of God. One of the things that we like to do as a family is we like to read stories of missionaries who have gone out and who've worked in the past. We read their stories and we see how they've worked. And it makes us feel really guilty because we're like, man, I'm not like that person. I'm not like Hudson Taylor. I'm not like Jim, Elliot, who died down in, in South America. These great men and women of the faith Gladys Alward, who rescued over a hundred children and walked them hundreds of miles across China to get to get them rescued by the Allies and adopted, I don't know how many of them her own, teaching them about the deeper things of Christ, how God used these men and women, and not just the missionaries looking across. We look at Billy Graham and Franklin Graham and some of these other preachers, even in our country. It's like, oh man, I could never be like that. Why not? Why could your faith not be as strong as theirs? Only you're holding yourself back because you're like, you're lazy. We're all I'm lazy. I would much rather sit home and watch TV or something than get in my Bible sometimes. Many times. I am lazy in my faith. Many times. I know the good I need to do, and yet I don't do it. And yet the things I don't need, I don't do, want to do, I, those are things I do, do, Paul says. And I agree, that is me. There is hope, even when immaturity is on our doorsteps. God sees the work we do in faith. We need to stay busy until the end, until he calls us home. Fight off the spiritual laziness that is there in each and every one of our lives. Satan wants to keep us distracted. Satan wants to keep us frustrated. Satan wants to keep us thinking that we can't be like Billy Graham. We can't be like Jimmy Elliot. We can't be like Gladys Albert. We can't be like these heroes of the faith. We're going to get to Hebrews chapter 11 in a few weeks and we're going to read about all these men and women of the faith as we study them and look at their lives and we'll be like, God, I can't do it. On my own, I can't do it. But with Christ empowering us and pushing us and becoming a part of what we're doing, we can have just as strong faith as those men and women who have gone on before. Have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute this morning as we close up and as we, as Karis comes to lead us in a final psalm. Let me ask you a quick question. Where's your faith this morning? Where's your faith this morning? Are you excited about the deeper things of God's word? Or are you satisfied just knowing John 3.16? Has God talked to you about engaging and getting involved in a ministry around either in our church or outside of our church and involved in somebody's life and yet the issues of life around us have gotten in the way and we've become lazy? allowing life to take precedence. Confess that to God this morning. It's okay, we've all been there confess it to God this word and say, God, yeah, I've been lazy. I've been letting the cares of the world overshadow my faith. I need to stop. Just confess that to Him right now. God you know the hearts and the minds of the men and women here in this room today the call today is to stop being immature in our faith to step up and press on toward the high calling of Christ the high calling you've placed on our lives to know you and make you known to the world around us to discover your character, discover who you are, discover the wise. So today, God, as we finish up our service here in just a minute, I want to pray and ask that you would work in all of our hearts right now. Show us an area in our lives that needs to be given over to you. One that's a distraction to our growing in our faith. Maybe it's football, maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's wood hiking, it's our job. What is that distraction?